Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the Arsenal Cannon Podcast Extravaganza. It is the 69th installment of this typical, uh, it's typically a train wreck of a show, but um, I'm, I'm feeling confident today going into going into the, uh, the Audible Expedition. The reason for my confidence is because I am not alone. If I was, this show would be an absolute disaster. I've got Unfortunately, just one British voice to help me out today. Alfie Coleshaw, the bumptious Brighton boy, formerly known as a lovely London local lad, is not here. He's doing some college stuff, some some real social things that I personally um, would find to be probably vomit-inducing, if I'm being honest. Um, he's a social butterfly, and we love him for it, but I would never partake in those activities in which he is. <laughs> I am joined solo today by the man with a versatile name rob bob bertha how are you doing today my friend how you doing daniel um i've 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 got to say to the listeners that if you want evidence for uh the daniel's notion that it would be a train wreck if he did this by himself all you have to do is scroll down a little bit to episode one of this podcast and you'll be treated with the audible expedition of Daniel Finton waxing lyrical about Arsenal single-handedly. Um, but yeah, I'm, I'm doing well. Um, not as well as uh, other times because things aren't good for Arsenal football club right now. Um, but yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll get into that. I'm sure. Yes, we will. And honestly, Rob, typically, when Alfie's here, we kind of just exchange pleasantries and talk a load yeah. of shit for the first eight minutes. But seeing as we want to keep this episode a little bit shorter to try to keep our listeners' attention span at the max, uh, let's just get right into it um, because there's a lot to talk about. Basically, Arsenal is atrocious at the moment and we're <laughs> in complete disarray from top to bottom. So we're we're going to die. Um, this club is is just over. It's been nice while it's lasted. Um, 1896 to 2020 is a uh, how long of a lifespan is that? It's oh, like over a hundred years. It, it, ah, it's beautiful, really. Uh, it's been a, mm. well past its life expectancy. Yeah, we've uh, we've expired. Um, <laughs> so it's been nice. Thanks for the memories, Arsenal Football Club. But it's time to say goodbye. We have now been liquidated and. That is an oh my gosh, Rob! I don't even. I, that's in large part thanks to the to the recent loss um, that's not only caused the inevitable forthcoming liquidation of Arsenal, but it also has caused meltdown on social media, as it always does when we lose. Yeah. Um, a loss to Wolverhampton Wanderers at home. If I'm not mistaken, that's I think it's three home losses in a row, was it, or something like that? Oh, I mean, God, I think it is atrocious, genuinely. Uh, before we get into the thoughts of the starting eleven and everything like that, like we typically do on paper, Bertha, what do you make of this atrocity of a result? It's bad. Um... Don't get me wrong, Wolves are a tough team to play. Uh, they've got a few really good players. But they the, the home form overall is just, it, it's really worrying. Um, even during the darkest days under Unai Emery, um, 
our home form was usually quite rock solid. Uh, it, it has been for a very long time. And to lose three matches in a row, uh, three matches which I'd say we probably deserve to lose, um, it, it, it's so uncharacteristic of Arsenal. Mm. Um, and all, all I can say is that you've got to hope that, that, that things are going to get better because right now we, we've hit a low, which I didn't actually foresee us hitting under Mikel Arteta uh, at any, any point, really. I knew that there would be lows, but I, I didn't think it would get quite this bad again. Um, but it just shows that there are, are a lot of underlying issues at stake, which weren't just sold by uh, weren't just solved by the appointment of a young, innovative manager who I think is the man to take us forward, but is suffering uh, at the moment. And in large part, that has got that. I think it's it's down to the personnel available to him. Yeah, yeah, I would agree, and we're going to get into that. Um... Very heavily in the show, yeah. as many of you could predict. And yeah, just to clarify, it is the three of our last um, home Premier League games have been losses. Listen to this, Rob. Our last win at home in the Premier League came on October 4th to Sheffield United, that uh, narrow 2-1 victory there. So I think that yeah. pretty much sums it up, really. I, I, again, before we get into the lineup, what is that? What is going on? Why are we so bad now at home is that because this is the kind of this is the thought process i was having is that down to the fact that none of the arsenal faithful are in the stadium yeah i mean i think that that's got to be taken into consideration overall uh you know the evidence suggests that the supposed home advantage isn't really there in the sterile environment which is um post coronavirus football uh mm. well post peak coronavirus football where you know it can actually happen uh but it, it's it's really disappointing because you know for so many years we've just taken home victories at for granted um i don't know if it's uh, going to be a long-term problem i think it'll probably be fixed at some point because big teams like arsenal uh, I know that we're going through a rough patch, but we, 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 big teams do well at home. Uh, mm. So we'll we'll come back. Uh, but it's certainly worrying at the moment. Have you got any other hypothesis that you can ascribe to these issues? I think it really just comes down to the lack of supporters and <laughs> the the incredible, unprecedented fact that all of our attackers are in shit form at once you know yeah. um it's we can't score goals i mean you look at uh, on paper you could even tell our one goal came from a fucking central defender i yeah. think that pretty much speaks for itself i mean if, if you look over the the the, the whole team uh you could say that the man who scored the goal really is the only informed player in the whole team mm. I mean, uh, uh, massive credit to Gabriel. What a signing he looks. Um, absolute monster at the back. Yeah. I really, really like him. Um, but you're right. It speaks volumes that really he, the chance that he tucks away really quite impressively um, was sort yeah. of the only big moment that we had offensively in the whole match. 
Yeah, I mean, it was it was damning. And uh, I guess on that note, um, we're talking about the only player that's in any kind of decent form. Were there any surprises that you had in regards to the starting 11? I mean, personally for me, I I wasn't really surprised by anything. I maybe wanted to see Willian dropped for Nelson. Mm. I, I saw that uh, notion on a lot of people's uh, social medias, and I bought into that as well. But other than that, um, it, it seemed like a decent enough team to, yeah. to try to get at least something out of this game, in my opinion. I'd agree. Um, you know, that there, there were... Mikhail Arteta, you've got to give it to him. He's responded to calls from fans for changes of the system. Um, and perhaps, you know, this is why he hasn't made the changes that we've all been calling for, because it hasn't worked at all. Mm. Um, and I think I've, I have was noting down some things earlier about the situation at hand at the moment. And I think that, you know, it just shows that these players are, that Arteta has available to him are just incompatible with um, the vision of football that he has, um, which is is really, really disappointing. I mean, uh, tell me about what you thought about the midfield pairing of Danny Sabahos and Granit Xhaka uh, on the weekend. I was quite, quite disgusted by their performances. Uh, I mean, genuinely. I know you and I are... Uh, really big fans of Danny Ceballos. I love a good Spanish midfielder. I've said that a lot of times on this show. And you and I also, Rob, are big defenders of Granite Jaka. And I don't think that for either of the pair, there's anything that anybody can say to defend them. I thought both of them were atrocious. Um, I thought especially Granite Jaka, really, looking at the second goal. Mm. The way... I mean, Adama Traore, let's have it right, is a fucking monster. He is crazy. He's a physical specimen. But regardless, the overall performance of Xhaka, along with that sequence in particular, where he was just emasculated by Treore. He was. That's the perfect way to describe it. He was just shrugged off him. It it was embarrassing. To be fair, let me just say this as well. I thought Tierney did horrendously in that situation as well. Yeah, yeah. But Xhaka, I mean, Xhaka's one of our most physical players in the team. You know, when you look at the size of him and everything like that, and the fact that, like you said, yeah, he was just shrugged off effortlessly from Treore is embarrassing, for lack of a better word. And I was embarrassed by that duo's uh, performance, and I was embarrassed by a great deal of other performances as well. I mean, Rob, when do we start looking at Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang? And asking him questions. I mean, the service wasn't, you know, really there like we've been saying for a while now. But Mm. I looked at a map that came up on on my Twitter. And why the hell is he playing so deep? I mean, he's got to get himself into positions. If he wants service, put yourself into the positions to get it. That's my opinion. I don't know what you think about it. I mean, of course, the flip side of that is that he feels he's not getting that service, so he's coming deep uh, to mm. collect the ball. Um, I think you're right. Uh, he's not making those trademark runs in behind, uh, perhaps because Wolves play quite a deep line. I, I don't know, but uh, that that was quite disappointing. And questions do have to be asked about Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang's form, um, mm. regardless if he's not getting the service. Right now, uh, he's the highest 
play paid player in the, in the squad because of course Meza Ozil is absent, um, and he's Arsenal's star man. Uh, so he has a responsibility really to perform. And the thing with Aubameyang is that um, over the course of the last few years, as Alfie will be proud of me for saying, he's massively outperformed his XG. Um, mm by tucking away really difficult chances, chances which shouldn't have been tucked away pretty much. And that's because he's a, he's an elite, he's turned into an elite finisher. Um, so basically when Aubameyang isn't firing on all cylinders, um, it sort of makes him look really, really bad uh, because he is a player who, um, he, he doesn't get many high quality chances created for him. Uh, you know, we all know the issues Arsenal have with creating chances. And subsequently, um, when he gets chances, he has to tuck them away. Uh, and He's not tucking away those chances at the moment. Uh, and we really need to start him to start doing so because when he doesn't, we our team looks a hell of a lot worse. Mm. Yeah, and um, the creativity, the the creative element or lack there of it in the side is going to be a massive theme in the show here just in a few minutes. Yeah. But I want to bring this up as well now, Rob, because I think this is definitely worth mentioning in our past and in, in the, in the previous three home games in the premier league. I mean, the defense I think has to come into question now as well. A yeah. bit because that's, that's six goals conceded in three games. Not good enough. We've been lauding Arteta for solidifying this defense, but clearly Conceding three goals, or excuse me, six goals in three games, not good enough. Not good enough. No way. Um, and uh, my personal prediction is that uh, on Saturday uh, in the North London derby, we'll, we'll revert to um, the shape that we were using mm. uh, prior to the amendments Arteta has made. I think this week the emphasis will really be back to basics, um, almost um, identical to the emphasis he placed when he first came into the club. Uh, it will all be all about restoring that defensive structure. Um, but of recent times, it's been really, really bad. And um, something that Freddie talked about when he was in charge, uh, that transition, um, we, we, we look really exposed again. And in part, that's down to... Um, Shaka and Ceballos, who mm. are, just lack so much mobility. Uh, yeah. But the, the defence really aren't covering themselves in glory at the moment either. Uh, we, we've got issues and uh, I can see, as I said, I can see us reverting to a really defensive structure in the next few games. Yeah, and, and Arteta may get some flack for that. But with that being said, I just I think it's the right decision at this uh, point. I, because I, Daniel, it, it's the only thing that's worked since he's come in. Mm. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, we talk about how Gabriel has been solid since coming in, but, I mean, realistically, you know, I look at, um, for example, I'm, I'm looking at this back four right now, okay? I'm looking at this back four of Hector Bellerin, David Luiz, Gabriel, and Kieran Tierney. Only the left side of that back four is at all capable of playing in a back four, mm. in my opinion. I don't think Bellerin, maybe, maybe he can play as a right back, but I think it's definitely, it's not even a debate. Bellerin is better going forward than he is de at defending. Yeah. Right? And David Luiz, as we all know, is far better accustomed to playing in a back three. He likes yeah. playing in the middle of a back three because his specialty is playing the ball. So 
I don't think this team's ready for a back four as of yet. And I've seen a lot of talk on Twitter, actually, of people saying, you know, maybe along with the creative midfielder, we also need to look into bringing a right-footed central defender. What are your thoughts on that? Yeah, this is a really interesting one. And it it brings up quite a few questions for me. Um, I'd be interested to know whether... Because I think Ornstein has said that the club are actively looking for a right-footed centre-back. Uh, That's correct, yeah. Mm. And and I I don't know if this is going to be a stopgap signing or if it's a long-term one. Um, because And if it isn't a stopgap signing, it raises massive questions over William Saliba. Um, I really... Looking at some of the defending we saw on the weekend... I've just got no idea why he hasn't been given a chance yet. I mean, the way both David Luiz and Rob Holding, you know I'm a big Rob Holding fan, but defensively at times, especially in 1v1 situations, he looks so, so poor. Mm. Um, And surely Saliba deserves a chance to show that perhaps he's better than those two. I mean, I know he's inexperienced, but these times when things are bad... Doing drastic things like introducing a nineteen-year-old, nineteen-year-old um, centre back into the setup, while it is risky, it is justified. Um, and perhaps going back to that back three um, with, I know Arteta likes using Tierney in the centre back role, but perhaps going to that three and then um, having David Luiz in the middle of Saliba and Gabriel, um, that that could mm. work uh, yeah. because. They are, they are then protected um, somewhat by Louise, who thrives in the middle of the back three, as you've just talked about. Um, I think, but I, I don't see Saliba being welcomed into the fold, so I don't even know if it's worth talking about that. Um, what do you what What do you think about um, Thomas Partey's absence at the moment? Uh, it's reported that is it could be a bit of a long term injury. Do you think that's contributing to our um, sort of lack of solidity. I mean, he is a player who's good at breaking up transitions mm. and has that mobility that Granite Shacker and somebody else don't. Yeah, uh, tremendously, to be honest. I mean, you look at Partey, what he brings to the table, and what we've already seen is when he plays, he is the most impressive player in the midfield without a shadow of a doubt, and one of the most impressive midfielders on the pitch. He's one of those guys that are basically just good at everything, and he has the mobility that Ceballos and Xhaka doesn't. He's the kidding class that no one likes. Yeah, yeah, exactly. He's just (laughs) too damn good at everything, you know? So, uh, yeah, we're missing Partey um, massively. But that rings alarm bells for me, Rob, because then it's I, I have the question, what the hell would we be talking about right now if we didn't sign Thomas Partey? Yeah. Because obviously we signed him right at the last minute. So how up shit creek would we be if, yeah. you know, he didn't put in that world class performance against Manchester yeah. United at Old Trafford, you know? Ah. Uh, um. Yeah, we, I mean, mm. from, what, from what I'm reading with regard to Partey is that the club don't want to risk him. Uh, and uh because you know he's such a massive investment and rumors i mean i think it's the case that he could be playing right now but they just don't want to risk aggravating this injury um mm. it, uh, I, I can see the logic behind that perhaps we strengthen in um 
January. And then we've got, if we have Thomas Partey at the base of that midfield, fit as hell, we could look really good. Um, but that's a lot of games heading into a Christmas without our best midfielder, as you say, which which is definitely a worry. Yeah, it is. And the fact is, the thing is about it, Rob, um, I don't even want to talk about the game against Wolves because um, I think there's just bigger things going on around the club right yeah. now. But we could we could touch on it just a little bit briefly here. Let's talk about the the first goal. I was talking about Treore in regards mm. to the second, and obviously Treore was massive a massive part of the first one as well. And yeah. we really struggled to cope with his pace and physicality. What did you make of that first goal? Was there anything anybody could have done better to to prevent that from trickling into the back of the net? Um, well, as you mentioned before, Tierney didn't cover himself in glory at all defensively with the first goal. Uh, he was beaten far too easily. Uh, and then Traore got it to the byline. Um, but sort of worryingly with both goals, um, we didn't respond to a second ball. Um, and... I, I really hope that uh, Arteta mentioned that because for me, I don't know about you, but that, that really does show a lack of defensive desire. Um, mm. I mean, you know, the second goal, Gabriel threw himself at the ball. Uh, I didn't see anyone else doing that. So, you know, it yeah. speaks volumes about, uh, you know, I I want to say like the defensive nows in our team. Right. Yeah. And that's something I think, Rob, that, it takes time yeah. to instill into players. and But I don't think we really have time because of how big of a club we are and how good the Premier League is. Nah. So I think it basically just takes new signings. I mean, the fact is we signed Gabriel. He's our best defender now. I mean, yeah. that uh, he's a great defender. Don't get me wrong. I think he's one of the most solid in the Premier League already. And on top but of that, you, still, you, you have to praise the club for going out and signing him uh, because he mm. looks a really good signing. Um, but, you know, sometimes when you bring in, uh, perhaps Gabriel isn't world-class yet, but when you bring in very good players, they do make the players look around around them. Either they transform their game or they make them look a hell of a lot worse. And at the moment, Gabriel is making his uh, colleagues look a hell of a lot worse by his uh, due to his high levels of performance. Yeah, yeah. And let's hope he can keep up the good form and then those around him can at least try to get somewhere near him in regards yeah. to, you know, how he's playing. But uh, oh, the second goal we already talked about, really. Um, yeah. Jaka completely emasculated there. and <laughs> oh, Ridiculous it, piece of skill, though, by uh, Daniel Podence. What? That, yeah, oh, just that so was so clever. That was beautiful. I, I don't yeah. think we could even get too mad about that part. Yeah. I think that was just freak freakish yeah. it was individual brilliance at its finest i think where that goal was conceded was in the midfield yeah. in terms of the defense that was just brilliant and fair play to podent so yeah that that's what happens you know that is what happens and usually rob that's what we do to other teams yeah you know we uh, have individual in brilliance in the final third but, uh, it, it, but do you know what daniel i don't know what made me more uncomfortable watching our sort of attempts at defending on the weekend or seeing burnt leno wearing our away kit and go there was something <laughs> so horrible about that <laughs> why do you i don't know maybe i'm being ignorant why was he wearing that i i, I don't really know to be honest um I, I, I was really trying to think about it so the kit the away kits that 
we've got the kits that we've got for goalkeepers is a black one, which I suppose clashes with Wolves shorts. Uh, then we've got a orange one, which of course cl- clashes with Wolves, and I think then we've got like a light yellow one, and I I don't see why the light yellow one wasn't more. Uh, the only thing I can think about for that is that the Wolves goalkeeper is also wearing a light yellow one, but surely then, as the away team, the Wolves goalkeeper should have to wear a different kit. Okay. Um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Whatever. He looked weird. I thought maybe it was because Arteta was like, shit, I, we don't have a single goal scorer. So I was like thinking maybe Leno would have, you know, since he's not wearing a goalkeeper's kit, He'll feel as though yeah. he could go into the outfield more, you know, maybe yeah. take a few chances for for himself. Actually, just just on that, uh, I tweeted about it. It didn't get very many replies. What do you think about the fact that we're we're not really passing out of the back as much at the moment? I think it's a bit stupid, if yeah. I'm being honest, because I don't think you know. I look at that. I look at the the players and the team. We don't have a very big team. You know, no. I mean, Aubameyang's decently tall. He's about he's about my height, you know, but he's not like a giant or anything. I think teams that should hoof the ball up the field are teams like Sheffield United, teams like Burnley, teams that have a big guy up front or somebody who could at least win the ball in the air. I look at this front four, so to speak, of Willock, Willian, Aubameyang, and Saka, and I really think only Aubameyang has any yes. realistic chance of winning something in the air. So I think it's a bit stupid, Rob. I think we should be playing the ball out from the back a bit more. And I think that would have made, you know, we, we saw it in, in the FA Cup triumph and everything like that when we had teams pressing us and we basically just played through their press. I don't yeah. know why we've neglected that. Evading the press is such a, a, I think, a really effective way of attacking. I mean, we did it mm. uh, prior to Raul Jimenez's awful injury. Uh, oh yeah, best, get well soon to him. By the way, that was best, horrendous. Best wishes yeah. to yeah, and uh, that concussion, the rules surrounding concussion, really need to be addressed. Um, yes. But anyway, um, we we actually made a chance prior to that injury, and it was through uh, sort of a bit of a neat build up from the back. I don't know if you can remember it. Uh, it made a big chance actually, um, and I was thinking, yes, we we brought this back, and then it, it went away for the rest of the game. Uh, oh yeah, that was where that was where uh, I think it was was it Willock that bursted down the the left hand yeah, side was it yeah. yeah okay yeah I remember that yep he played a really neat ball uh, th- through the lines to Bukayo Saka and then mm. played it into the middle uh, and then I can't really remember what happened after that but um, yeah that that was really good um, and it's really disappointing that we're, we're not yeah, seeing then, much of that at the moment for me <laughs> then we just stopped we're like you know that was effective let's never do that again yeah. <laughs> Come on, man. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I mean, it, it's a weird one. And I remember, well, I think we all remember when Mikko Arteta said that it, it scares him more when we don't do that um, than when we... Uh, the, uh, and it, it scares him more when we boot it long because that means we're likely to lose the ball. Um, mm. And, you know, I, I like Wolves. They're a good side. Um, but in a back four... Just like with our players, none of their players are specialists in a back four. So when you evade that midfield and attack, attacking press, you're then attacking a very uh, a group of players who are very inexperienced in a back four. So there's, I would say, there's a pretty high chance of getting past the back four as well. I mean, uh, 
I'm guessing that wasn't addressed as the back four wasn't really anticipated by Mikel Arteta. Uh, but, you know, it's something to think about. Yeah, it is. And it's food for thought. This match is over, and I'm happy it is. Wolves are one of those teams, ever since they've come up, it's you never want to play them. Yeah. You know, they're so difficult to play against. They're basically everything that Arsenal is not. Yeah, yeah. You know, so I direct. I can't believe, Daniel, that Wolves have only been in the Premier League for two years. They're such like a, they're, they're they're a proper Premier League team now. I would yeah, say. that's Nuno Espirito for you, man. He is a yeah. tremendous manager. Absolutely, yeah, I really like him. Mm, that team he's built is the Portuguese national team is fantastic, and you know it's uh, he <laughs> deserves he, deserve, <laughs> yeah, he deserves all the credit that he uh, that he gets for it. And you know now I think what's even more impressive with Wolves, not to keep talking about them, but. They've got a really nice crop of young yeah. players coming up as well. So yeah, it would not surprise me, Rob, to see Wolves up in the Prem for the next fifteen years. Yeah, you know they they genuinely look so solid. And I mean, they, uh, you look at Jota, how they sold him for thirty five million pounds yeah. or something like that. I mean, crazy. And and you know what? They didn't even have to go out and buy someone to replace him because they had Daniel Podence as a ready made replacement. Like yep. such good business from them, really, really impressive. Um, and you know, you as an as an Arsenal fan, you can only envy them uh, because they they seem to be a club. You know, they don't people criticise the way they do business due to their dealings with uh, George Mendes, but they they seem really efficient. And uh, yeah, kudos to them. Well, thank you for the lovely through ball, Bert. That's a tremendous transition <laughs> onto the next segment that we're going to talk about. Um, speaking of efficient, that kind of reminds me of a word, the opposite one, inefficient, the way our club is run. Yeah. And we're inefficient going forward in the attack as well. We have no creativity at all. So screw the Wolves game, push that to one side. We're going to talk about the overall issues going on at Arsenal Football Club right now as we speak. Rob, who the hell is culpable for this mess in which we're in right now, because I know you could probably say it's down to a lot of different people, really. But I want you and your and, and your geniusness to tell me who you believe <laughs> is the main perpetrator of all of this pain in which we're feeling right now. I mean, as you said, Daniel, uh, there's a lot of people who are responsible for the issues at hand at Arsenal right now. Um, I uh, think. Uh, quite a bit of blame has to be shifted for the current issues. I really do think a lot of this blame has to be sh shifted towards Edu Gaspar. Um, mm -hmm. I think that he, over the summer, he failed us. Uh, yes, we brought in Thomas Partey, brilliant, and Gabriel. But um, at the end of the day, we needed, we desperately needed to sell players over the summer, and he only really moved on. Henrik Mkhitaryan and a couple of players on loan, and we didn't even get any money for Mickey. Uh, so that that's really poor from him. Uh, and when you're sort of in a project and you're trying to build a squad for Mikel Arteta, which can align with his vision, you need to be efficient. That word we keep using, you need to be efficient in the transfer market. And over the summer, we were not. I would completely agree. And I'm actually kind of happy that you, you went in on Edu a little bit there because I think that given his past with the club and the fact that he isn't invincible, he's an Arsenal legend. There's no two ways around it. 
I think he's not got the criticism that he deserves. And yeah. I'm really unimpressed with Edu thus far. I think, like you said, he failed us in the previous yeah. transfer window. We had a lot of Deadwood to offload. There's no two ways around it. I don't give a shit about um, the money generated from some of these crap players that we have to get rid of. What I care about is getting their extortionate wages off the bill. And yeah. we failed. We failed. There's no two we ways did. around it. We failed. And at the end of the day, um, you know, for a club like Arsenal, just getting them off our books via free transfers next summer should not satisfy us in the slightest. Mm. We should have been getting we should have been getting transfer money for them. You know, mm. Shkodran Mustafi might not be the best player, but he's an international footballer, won a World Cup, and uh, he, he we bought him for £35 million. And we are content with selling him. And, you know, I am. I don't have any complaints with letting him go because it's the situation we are in. But we have got to a point where we're content with making a £35 million loss on him. Like, that's mm. ridiculous. I mean, you just reminded me there. It's it's not just now, so we can't just look at Edu. Our club yeah, has no, been... absolutely. I don't, I don't been... want to sort of make Edu a scapegoat because, oh my God, the players deserve a lot of blame right now. And you know what? Mikel Arteta deserves a bit of criticism at the moment. But I think Edu is a area which needs to be addressed. Well, and I would completely agree. But even along with those... Uh, those people that you've mentioned, just the people who were running us in the past as well, you know? Yeah. I mean, uh, you reminded me there when you said we brought in Shkadrin Mustafi for 35 million pounds. Let's have a look at that transfer window. I, I saw somebody speaking about this on yeah, social media. It was, uh, that summer was probably the worst ever summer transfer window that ever could have occurred. We brought in Granite Jaka. Fact is we overpaid for him. We could have gotten Golo Kante for about the same price. We went for Jaka, yeah. 35 million pounds. We got Mustafi, 35 million pounds. We got Lucas Perez, who absolutely flopped for about, I think, 17 or something yeah, like was that. Quite expensive. Yeah. So we spent <laughs> 87 million pounds, and two of the players completely flopped in Mustafi and Perez. And then uh, Jerry's still really out on jackets. Uh, it's not yeah. looking good either. I mean, and then, no. and then also, also um, we sold Serge Gnabry, <laughs> that transfer yeah. window. For four million pounds of Werder Bremen, so not a great transfer window. No, wow, that's it's really shocking when you look back on some of these uh, dealings that Arsenal have done in the past. Um, mm. And well, it seems like every year we think we've turned this corner, <laughs> and really, it's the same old shit. Yeah, I mean, we always fuck up. I mean, uh, and I think you've got to realize that the common denominator is the owners. Um, mm who, you know, might be good at running franchises in America, but they're not even that popular there, as you probably know better than me. Um, they're, they're, they're not capable of running a football club. Um, and I don't care if The Athletic are writing articles suggesting they care and they're making great decisions at barbecues. I, I, I couldn't care less, <laughs> you know? Well Here's a here's a little caveat I'll have to that, and people probably aren't used to caveats being provided in the Kroenke situation. Yeah. So the Kroenkes, they haven't stated it, but we know it to be the case. They don't know about soccer 
You know, yeah. they're not, they don't understand what the hell is going on. They want Arsenal because they know it's going to make them a lot of money. It's without a shadow of a doubt, Rob, the biggest franchise in which they own. There's no two ways around it. I mean, they have the Colorado Rapids, the Denver Nuggets, and um, now they're called the LA Rams. Um, obviously, yeah. we've talked about that in the past, how they yeah. relocated a fucking sports team. Crazy. You can never get away with that in football. Um, oh, no. But. Arsenal is without a doubt the biggest franchise that they own. And yeah. they put people into positions where mm. they, they, they basically they delegate the responsibilities of running the club onto other people. Now, I think it's pretty fair to say that they deserve some flack because clearly the people they're picking don't know what they're doing. Yeah, yeah that, that's why I'm getting at 100%. Yeah, but also, you know... The the responsibility is being given to to Edu, obviously. Yeah. And he's not cutting the mustard. No. Nope. He's not living up to I'm sure they're they're not very happy with what's going on right now. And oh, of I think that they're I, not. They're, you they're, heard of regardless mm, of what you think of the Cronkies, they're not sitting there smoking their cigars thinking, Oh, all is good in the world. They are gonna be darn right worried because Big big things happen at Arsenal over the summer. A very experienced man in Mauro Sanya, he was removed. We all agreed mm-hmm. that was re- the right decision, but he was removed. You then um, you left two really experienced guys at the helm in Mikel Arteta and Edu. When we think about the football side of things, I know Vinay um, Van Katsham does the sort of other stuff. Um, which he's basically I, just he's like head of communications yeah it seems it, like it, almost it, to me you know it, exactly um and you know it doesn't seem right now like that's really paid off um and you know we we've all read about this tim lewis guy the lawyer who's sort of feeding information to the cronkies i would not be surprised if he feeds a little thing uh to them in a in in the not too distant future suggesting edu is not the man to carry us forward i was Um, i was what i was actually gonna say rob is tim lewis this american scary american lawyer that you yeah. know, if you've watched if you've watched Breaking Bad, kind of reminds me of like uh, like a Saul Goodman for anybody out yeah. there watching. Very sketchy, <laughs> you know. Get shit done. Maybe get you, you know, hacked off the face of the earth if you do him wrong. Um, is this is this <laughs> Tim Lewis guy? Is he the Grim Reaper to Edu if he doesn't start yeah. shaping up? Yeah, I, I think that you'd be right to suggest that. And you know what's also worrying for Edu is that. You know, if he was removed, I reckon there'd be a man in um, Ralph Ragnick, who's, uh, mm. well, I'm sure most of our listeners, and you know who he is, doesn't need mm. describing. Um, I, I'm sure that he'd be more than willing to take over. <laughs> um, he's looking for a job at the moment, and Arsenal yeah. would, regardless of what you think about Arsenal, regardless of the mess we're in, it, it would be an exciting project, especially with an exciting manager uh, call, uh, in Mikel Arteta at the helm. So, um, yeah. you know, I think Edu really has to be on his do- toes at the moment and should be doing all he can to ensure that uh, his job is secure, which I very much doubt it is. Yeah, and, you know, just on that note as well, I mean, you look at the the ever-abundant amount of people that have been hired into administrative positions at Arsenal. Yeah. And, I mean, on paper, Rob, I mean, guys like Sven Mislintat, Raul and Leahy, they don't seem like a bad idea. Neither did Edu. No. So what? No. What is what's what's wrong? What the hell is going on? Because clearly, uh, yeah. in my opinion, 
on the face of things, it doesn't really seem like they're making bad decisions in terms no. of who they pick. I mean, the the issue, of course, is that with these guys who run the club uh, at a senior level, we we don't really know what they do. Uh, it's mm. it's it's hard to sort of um, understand their job roles because, unlike a manager, they're sort of their what they do isn't tested every week on a football pitch. Um, so it, it's hard to understand really whether they're doing their jobs effectively or not. Um, mm. But as you say, these guys have good reputations. It's weird that things aren't going well, um, but maybe it's uh, the right man for the wrong job, you know? Mm. Yeah, because, you know, like we saw, Mislintat and Senlehi, they just didn't get on. Yeah, you know, I, I don't mean, think... that, that's that's the issue you can ascribe to that one. Um, you know, perhaps that should have mm. been seen earlier, that there was going to be a sort of a power battle between those two. Uh, yeah, you can't, have, you can't have two alpha males in the same, you know, yeah, of picture, really. So, with regard to um, American sport then, Daniel, uh, mm. I'm sure you know a little bit more. Is, is this a similar way to which the Cronkies run their clubs in America? Do they sort of delegate things over there? or And is, is that common in American sport? Or are they a bit more hands-on? You know something, um, the way that sports in America, the, the administrative side of the game, is like a hell of a lot more kind of, how would I describe this? Behind closed doors than yeah. it is in European sports. I don't think that's how Americans like to do business is yeah, of in, a, in, a, in a dark room. So you can't see the <laughs> yeah. malpractices that are being committed. Um, but yeah, like really, man, I don't know anything about any of the ins and outs of any kind of corporate yeah, corporate side of a franchise. I think that's basically European exclusive to, to be so yeah. transparent, which I think is nice by the way. But um, to, I will say this. With the LA Rams, and let me just make sure because I genuinely don't follow American football at all. So give me just one second here. <laughs> I don't. Um, you. Looks pretty boring. <laughs> it's not my not my can of worms to be honest. But I'm pretty sure the LA Rams actually have a very young head coach as well, and I'm not wrong. Yeah. I, in fact, he's even younger than Mikel Arteta. He's only 34 years old. So it almost is kind of like it, they kind of try to run all of their franchises in one way. Mm-hmm. Like Arteta, very you know well-spoken, says all the right things. If you look him up, his name is Sean McVay. Yeah. Honestly, kind of looks like a ginger Mikel Arteta. Yeah, really. I what you mean, actually. Has, has great a great set of hair on him, you know. Yeah. Um, shout out, shout out, being ginger. Um, but <laughs> like, I, I think that's just the way that they like to try to run their franchises. And maybe that's a good point that you bring up. Maybe that's just not the right way to go at Arsenal Football yeah. Club. Maybe Arsenal's too big to be run in that manner. Yeah, yeah, I, I would agree. It seems that we've uh, sort of beat the shit out of the executive shit. What, what do you think about those mm. who are sort of um, directing the blame of the players and some quotes that have come out uh, from Unai Emery in the last few days, which is uh, sort of about the attitude of Arsenal players with regard to um, him saying that some days they're yes, 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 and other days, no, no, no. 
Wow. Um, the fact that I, wow, I, I didn't hear that quote. By yeah. The way. Um, that, that's pretty damning. I mean, say what you want about Unai Emery, but I don't think he's a liar. No. So, um, that doesn't surprise me. If I'm yeah. being completely honest, I, I think we have a, a lot of players in this team that don't belong. No. You know, that don't have the, have the kind of determination that's required to to make this great club great again. Make Arsenal great again. <laughs> Yuck. Um, but yeah, that wow, that's God, that is damning. You broke that news for me. It kind of makes me a little bit yeah. depressed, if I'm being honest with you. What are your thoughts on that? It's a great question. I mean, it doesn't really surprise me. Um, I think that uh, James put out a tweet, and I think he uh, actually Alfie's talked about this on his Instagram. Um, mm. That basically uh, these t the same the same thing has happened with both Mikel Arteta and Unai Emery. They've come in. There's been that new manager bounce. Underlying metrics are still worrying though, um, and mm. eventually things have flattened out and things have gone to shit. Hopefully Arteta can steady the ship, and I think he'll be given the time to steady the ship. Um, mm. But at the same time. I think it speaks volumes about these players, you know, that they're motivated for a few months by this new face and then things to start to drop off. And that's just not what a professional footballer should be like, to be honest. I mean, there should be that level of self-motivation, which means that you're always fighting to be at your best, um, regardless of who the manager is. Uh, and I, it, it's worrying. Uh, and I'm glad that a lot of them will be leaving this summer due to their contracts expiring. Uh, but it's obvious that a massive rebuild is required and I don't know about you Daniel but I think it's it's not just oh yeah one transfer window and we're done it, it's going to be a really long time and uh, I guess that's a, a good place to sort of ask you about your sort of thoughts on Arteta as a whole um, mm. is, is he um, should I guess we be throwing all our eggs into an Arteta-shaped basket or not? <laughs> well, I would if it was me because I think he talks the right game. I think he he symbolizes Arsenal really well, you know, and that's what I like about him. I think I like Unai Emery personally. You know I really liked him when he was here. I liked how, how like, sweet of a guy he was and everything like yeah. that. But it was just – I think Arsenal need – Somebody who's nice, but has that little bit of a, a prickly side of their character. Yeah. You, know, you even look at Arsene Wenger. Arsene Wenger sometimes can get a little bit, you know, feisty. Yeah. And I think that, I think we need that. So I think he's the right guy in that regard. And then also, he seems like a, an individual with a good amount of common sense as well. He came in and he said the first thing he has to fix is the defense. The defense is terrible. He's done so. As best as he could, I think, thus far. Now, all of the problems, in my opinion, are ones that he's not totally responsible for. And I'm, I'm talking about signings and new players and getting rid of Deadwood. And I really think that most of that flack has to be onto, onto Edu. Yeah. You know, because we need players with more desire and we need better players. And... I'm not sure Arteta's totally responsible for the fact that we haven't done that. So I would uh, yeah. say he's still the right man for the job. What do you think? 
I mean, 100%. I mean, you look at our current squad. Uh, it's the exact same squad that Unai Emery had, apart from uh, the additions of Willian, Gabriel and uh, Thomas Partey, who, you know, regardless of what team you put them in, they're not going to transform you offensively. Um, so I think, you know, the, these these are players who clearly are not... Um, sort of suited to the style of football that Arteta wants to implement. Uh, so I think at least you give him a chance to bring in those players. Uh, you know, I'd say he's worth risking and, you know, spending a shit ton of money because I see potential in Mikel Arteta, which, uh, you know, other people see as well, including world-class managers. Um, so let, let's let's not sort of beat around the bush here, give him the backing, and then, you know, if, if that doesn't pay off, I think at that point, you then start considering his his potential exit. Um, unless, of course, things get very, very bad and, uh, you know, we start losing every single football match we play. Mm. Yeah. And I guess on that note, a good question to ask just to kind of uh, draw this bad mamma jamma to a close is what do we need well, and more specifically, who? I'm pretty sure I already know the answer to this, but who do we need to bring in? And realistically, I guess, how many can we bring in in the forthcoming January window? It's tricky um, because uh, we need a lot of players. Uh, let, let, mm. Let's not hide from that fact. Um, but at the same time... Um, you can't sign that many players in January. So we've got to be really specific with who we sign. Um, and I, I sort of, as you, as we have said so many times, a creator, of course. Uh, but I see the need for improvement in so many other areas of the pitch. Like, personally, I don't think Granite Shaka and uh, Danny Ceballos provide adequate um, cover for Thomas Partey. I could, mm. uh, I've, I was actually, I put out a tweet the other day about, uh, Zambo and Guisa at, um, at Fulham. And I was saying that if Fulham go down this, this season, this is the sort of guy we should be looking to sign because that is the sort of player who provides cover for Thomas Partey, not someone like, uh, Sabayas and Shaka. Um, mm. and you know, I think we need a striker because, the way we're looking to play, it sort of seems to be centered around crossing at the moment. And, you know, we don't have a striker who can put chances away. Um, I think we, we could even need a winger. Uh, as we mentioned at the start, a right center back. Uh, I'm not going to lie at the moment. I do have serious questions about Hector Bellerin. Uh, so there's, there's mm. so many areas that, that need improvement. Um, and we, we've got a long way to go before we can start thinking about getting com properly competitive in the Premier League again. I suppose that brings on the question about where should the focus be in, in January then? Mm. And what do you think? Because I'm pretty sure we probably share the same yeah, I mean, opinion here, uh, like most people. 100% we need a technical, creative midfielder um, and mm. probably a goal-scoring midfielder uh, in that profile and I think we're both thinking of the same guy in, in Dominic Shaboshlai, um mm. who who seems to p possess the traits that we're missing but as 
you re- wrote in your piece, which wasn't really about Jack Grealish, but had his name in the title. Um, you said that we need <laughs> numerous uh, creative midfielders, not just uh, one in Shaboshlai. Uh So, mm. yeah, it, it seems that uh, we, uh, we've we got a lot of work to do uh, with regard to buying creators who should be the priority. Uh, and then... I, I can see where Arteta's coming from uh, with regard to the right centre back. Yeah, and and as do I. And and then also, I want to say this because I think you touched on something that hasn't really been touched on a lot is another striker. We've we've heard, you know, obviously everybody knows we need a creative midfielder, and my preference now is Dominic Shabashlai. The more and more I see of him, the more and more I want him. Yeah, you know, he's that sort he of just, player. He looks, yeah, he looks like an Arsenal player too. I could genuinely. I'll put my hat. I'll, I'll go ahead. I'll 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 say it. I think we will get Dominic Shabashlai this January. Okay, nice. I see what you mean by I saying do. that he's a classic Arsenal player, though. But I also see things in him which are so un-Arsenal and refreshing. True, and that's a beautiful mix to have. Yeah, beautiful. And uh, we could genuinely use that because I'll tell you what. While there's some beautiful parts of Arsenal that will always be there, there's also some kind of yeah, eh, parts that could be improved. You know, I think sometimes we have kind of a a soft underbelly. Yeah, of course, which is what's talked and, about frequently. And you, and, um, and you see people on Twitter at the moment yearning back to those years when we had Cazorla, Özil, Sanchez, etc. But mm-hmm. in those years, let's not forget we didn't win a league title. Uh, we were still missing things. Um, yeah. So you know, and Arteta, you know, that's that's of course his dream. He wants to take Arsenal to that league title, which. We haven't won since 2004. Uh, so <laughs> yeah. he needs to add things to this squad, not only that have been there in previous years, but haven't been there. Uh, so it's all about getting that balance. Yeah, I would agree. And, you know, uh, just to touch on the striker thing you said, I mean, Alfie and I probably talked about just 30 episodes ago or something crazy. I yeah. mean, we, I know it, it doesn't seem like, a big deal, but we didn't ever really replace Olivier no, Giroud in terms of the kind of player that he is. And I would argue that still to this day, Giroud is one of, and if not the best plan B strikers yeah. in Europe. Yeah. And the fact is Arsenal don't have a plan B yeah. going forward. And I, I would really like us to, to bring in maybe like a big kind of way different striker yeah. to, to that yeah. of Aubameyang. And, there's this guy at Wolfsburg. I can't remember his name. Oh, yeah. I know um, who you're on about. That Weghorst guy. Probably Weghorst. Yeah, exactly. Weghorst. Yeah. Weghorst. He's <laughs> absolutely gargantuan. Yeah. I love that in a striker. You know, good old-fashioned uh, number nine. And let me just look. He's Dutch. Lovely. And let me just see here. 6'6". Six, six. Woo! Yeah, just something <laughs> completely different, isn't it? That plan B. Yeah, and I think I think we're lacking that. And honestly, it probably wouldn't cost that much. No. Nah. You know, so I, uh, um, who wh- I oh mm. well, go on, ask the question because I think I was about to answer it. I, well, I was actually just going to say Maverick on uh, Twitter. Good, good listener of the show yeah. brought that up. But go on with what you're going to say because I don't think I was going to ask anything. I was oh, just going to okay. say that. Yeah. I don't know why I said who? Yeah, I, I said uh, I was going to say that I think Odson Edward at Celtic would also be worth exploring. Mm. Uh, looks a really good striker and uh, he sort of has that mix of being a physical threat whilst also having a, a bit more about him than just that um, 
But yeah, I think in terms of I'm not does it say how old Vekhorst is? Yeah, he is he is twenty eight, so yeah. it's not ideal um, in terms of the age frame. But to be fair, as we know, strikers can go on for years and years, especially big ones as Olivier Giroud has shown. Uh but True. But and, and Zlatan, even yeah, more notably, of course. Of course. Um, so I think that, Daniel, I think that would really be worth exploring. One hundred percent, I agree. Um, yeah, you know, you know, uh, swap Lacazette for Veghorst, I say. Yeah, and then I uh, just let me say, I think Edward would be a little bit more pricey, but that age profile is absolutely brilliant. Yeah. You know, twenty-two. He's not small. No. You know, he's six foot two. So, and then if you've yeah. got a player like him working under. One, one, one extreme of uh, under the tutelage of one extreme of Pierre Emerick Aubameyang, who's your uh, your archetypal, um, you know, pacey getting behind striker, and then on the other hand, you've got Veghorst, who's just this beast who uh, thrives yeah. when the ball is fired up towards him. Um, you know that that would that would be a really good pairing to learn off, and then at that point, we've got three really different strikers who can offer so many different things uh and yeah. and i think that's really the variety that Mikel arteta would be looking for in every single position because if you look at a club like manchester city that, that that's what they've got and doubtless that's what arteta is aspiring for yeah and that's what we hope he can achieve um we will see what yeah. happens peeps because right now oh, i'm not gonna lie man Times are tough. Um, Rob, we've got a Europa League fixture that's basically, there's no two ways around it, completely irrelevant. Um, I'm sure <laughs> yeah. you, like me, would just... Well, I want to see a bunch of kids, yeah. especially given the smelly bunch in which we're playing on the Sunday after. Yeah, yeah. Um, I mean, of course, we're all worried about uh, the Tottenham, Tottenham game this weekend. I actually think... It won't be well. I don't think we'll get smashed because Arsenal don't get smashed these days in big games. Um, mm. I think you've got to credit Arteta for that. Um, but I've got to say that uh, I had a dream last night, uh, mm. <laughs> and it wasn't even about uh, the game. It was about uh, my a football match that I've got myself on Saturday. It's the first one I'm playing in a month because uh, we've had our lockdown here in the UK. And it wasn't the football match that I was about to play that was worrying me in the dream. It was the football match that was taking place in the following day uh, as we travel to uh, Shite Heart Lane or whatever it's called these yeah. days. Uh, but yeah, it, it's going to be a really interesting watch, I think. Well, I think the best thing we as Arsenal fans can do going into that fixture is just try to not think about it at all. Because if you do, you're just going to be in a constant state of anxiety yeah. for the entire week. Um, I know it's difficult to try to wipe it from your mind because it's all that's on mine too, to be honest. Yeah. Um, but they are flying and they're firing on all cylinders at the moment. And God, Rob, how first of all, how Arsenal would it be for us to go and win that yeah. game? But second of all... How nice would it be? Oh, it would be lovely. To just knock those little shit weeds off their perch. I mean, they're celebrating like they won the Champions League <laughs> for being top of the table in fucking December, yeah. man. Yeah. I, uh, it's for another podcast, of course, but I, I don't think Spurs mm. will offer that much through for the remainder of the season. I see them getting top four, but no more. Um, but 
Yeah, it, I I was going to say that it'll be really positive because two thousand fans will be present, which will which mm. would supposedly be great. But then I remembered it would be two thousand Spurs fans. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, I would uh, I would you know honestly I think it's a good thing because I want to see a Spurs fan a, a Spurs fan crying on yes. TV. Yes, <laughs> that would be beautiful. So. Uh, so yeah, but we'll see. It's going to be a really tricky game. Who gives a shit about the the Europa League game this Thursday? Yeah. Nobody. That's the answer. Uh, the Tottenham game, though, it's going to be a scary one, and we'll talk about it after it happens. Yeah, like we always do. We'll be here next Tuesday, peeps and peepets. Oh, you cool uncles out there! I'm trying to remember to say that every episode because I really want that to stick, but I just can't remember it. Um, all the cool uncles. That's what these listeners. Oh are called, yeah, the man. cool uncles. <laughs> But, uh, yeah, do you got anything else you want to touch on before we draw this bad boy to a close? Nah, I think I mentioned briefly that I think we'll be back to the 343 on the weekend, but I don't think we need to go too in-depth into preview. I think everyone knows that it will be uh, back to the overwhelmingly defensive structure, which uh, I think the evidence suggests is better than our really disjointed attempt at an attacking structure. So, uh, yeah, I'm I'm... I'm I'm actually not as worried about it as a lot of people seem to be. I I, I really do have Arteta a confidence in Arteta when faced with the task of building a, a defensive structure. Yeah, and so do I. And also, I mean, it's Tottenham. Yeah, you know, just touching on that Unai Emery quote you brought up earlier, how they sometimes say yes, 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 and then no, 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 <laughs> they they want it or they don't. A Tottenham game is going to be when they all want it. Yeah, of and course it is. They have a really good chance to get us all back on size. Yeah. With all it takes is a 1-0 win, and we will be thrilled, and we're going to forget everything and, that we're talking about yeah. right now if we beat Tottenham. And you know what, Daniel? The Premier League is so tight. If we won that game against Wolves, I know we didn't, but we would have been a point off the top four. The Premier League is really, really mm. tight. A win, especially a big win, would transform the atmosphere around the club. Uh, and, it, and you know, it, we shouldn't be expecting it because we're in terrible form. Uh, but I, I'm not as worried at all as some su- are suggesting. Tottenham are a team who are heavily reliant on Son and Kane. Uh, and if if, mm. if either of them have off days, Tottenham struggle. Uh, likely they won't because it's an North London derby. But I, I don't think we should be as worried about um, Spurs as a lot of people seem to be. Yeah, I would agree completely. This will okay. likely come back to bite um, me. Uh, we'll, we'll probably get most spanked, likely. But you know, let's be positive. I was gonna, I was, <laughs> <laughs> I was gonna say definitely soundbite yeah. this. Um, just so everybody knows, this is the hour and like two minute mark of the 69th episode of the Arsenal Cannon Podcast. Just in case you need to <laughs> use this against uh, Bert in like yeah. federal court or anything, <laughs> you know. <laughs> oh dear. Um. Okay. Yeah, I think that's all. That's all she wrote for this episode's installment. 69! We didn't really make too many 69 jokes, so I'm a little bit upset about that, to be honest. I'm definitely going to have like a job interview aged 50, and they're going to be like, so, what about that thing you said at the end of the 69th installment of the Arsenal Cannon podcast? (laughs) (laughs) They'll be like, you're a real idiot, aren't you? And you'll be like, (laughs) yeah. Well, we'll we'll uh, we'll we'll bookmark it so they could find it even easier. Okay. <laughs> sure. Alrighty. Marketing opportunity of a lifetime. What do you have to plug, my friend? Um, 
I'm going to start becoming a bit more active again on my Arsenal Instagram. I've been slacking on it uh, over the course of the last few months. Mm. But uh, yeah, AFC underscore insight. Please check it out. Alrighty, nice one. And Alfie, <laughs> we love you, Arsenal. Okay, okay. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, Alf. No, yeah, thank you, Alf. Uh, appreciate it. Yeah, appreciate all the writers for the site. Um, <laughs> they're all doing a great job as ever. Um, led by our fearless leader, the frat boy that is the bumptious Brighton boy, Alfie Kosha. Uh, for me, folks. Okay, do you know that was really scary? I thought for a second that Alfie actually somehow broke onto this call and said, <laughs> it's not a frat, it's not a frat, because that's like exactly what he would yeah. say. Oh, wow. Well. You've been studying him. Fair play. <laughs> that's proper journalistic instinct from you, oh, man. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, go check out the awesome website. And also, go check out my personal blog, linkygingerblog.wordpress.com. I've got a new blogaroo coming soon. And it was supposed to be posted a couple of days ago, but it's a long one, so I'm kind of taking some time on it. But it's going to be about the weird fucking people that I idolize. And spoiler alert, none of them have anything to do with football. And I don't know why that is, but I think I'm just... A mentally disturbed person. Lovely. <laughs> oh, yeah. Thank you. Uh, okay. Uh, thanks a million for tuning in to number 69. Nice. <laughs> goodbye. We need uh, Goodbye. Oh, wait, wait, wait. Hold on. Hold on. Hold on. Hold on. We need a song. We do need a song. Fuck. Shit. Uh, What's a song that has to do with 69? Oh, yeah. It has to be. Uh... We could always play a rap, a rap song by that guy, 6ix9ine. Oh, yeah, of course we could, but I hate that guy. Me too. <laughs> so I can't really... That's kind of oh, funny, though, because you know how we have, like... A... Summer of 69. Go on, go on, what's up? In the summer, summer of 69. <laughs> okay, perfect. Me. And we'll tell Alfie that, and he'll be he'll be happy we picked a song. Yeah. He'll be happy about that. Okay, enjoy Summer of 69. Goodbye. Uh, until next time, <laughs> adios. Bye. Got my first real six string Bought it at the five and done Played it till my fingers bled Was a summer of 69 Me and some guys from school Had a band and we tried real hard Jimmy quit, Jody got married Should've known we'd never get far
that? Nobody. I said, who's that? I said, nobody. <laughs> <laughs>